Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Hosted by Todd Hirsch, ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist, The Future of Podcast has launched its third season. By connecting with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for things that mean the most to you, The Future of Podcast promises to give you insights to help navigate what is often an uncertain future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. Subscribe to The Future of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found, and connect at atb.com slash the future of. Celebrating a bit of a milestone this week. Just a teeny one. Our son lost his first tooth. Get it? Teeny milestone. Yeah. It's a baby tooth. Now, the problem is, (laughs) he lost it on Friday at daycare, based on his own account of events having taken place. (laughs) Yeah, his version of it is, my sandwich ate it. Yeah, which also means the tooth is lost. Not, I suspect, because the people at the daycare threw it away, but because when he says his sandwich ate it, he means he lost it while eating his sandwich, and it's gone now. Because it (laughs) possibly got swallowed with some sandwich. Probably. Yeah. I'm not going looking for it. No. And the funny thing is, he didn't tell us. No. About this, and we didn't notice until Saturday (laughs) when he was talking to Scott. Yeah, as a possible scathing indictment of our (laughs) parenting, uh, neither of us noticed later that day that he was missing a tooth. Yeah, it was was Saturday when you guys were chatting. Scott stopped him and went, wait a second, open your mouth. And there it was, gone. (laughs) What happened to your tooth? Yeah. Yeah, his sandwich ate it. So now we have to be in negotiations with the tooth fairy for exchanging a non-tooth. I'm not sure how to handle that. Yeah. Now, the good news is that means it wasn't a big deal to him. No, clearly it wasn't. Like, he didn't even mention it that night. Like, my tooth came out. No, it never came up. Nope. Until I noticed it. Now it's a big deal, because we've made a big deal out of it, and he's been showing it off to everybody. Oh, yeah. Uh, We happened to be at a friend's house at the time, doing a little backyard get-together, and he insisted on going around and showing absolutely everybody the hole (laughs) in his mouth now. It was very cute. That's where we're at. Here in the read-along house. Yep. This is parenting extreme over here. But all's well that ends well. Yes, it's true. Everybody's fine. New tooths are coming. Books were read. Conversations will happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess a brief recap of our previous chapter then. Yes. Uh, We get a little flashback to the time that a professional space scientist did not put on a hazmat suit and proceeded to touch mysterious alien slime. To a time when a professional starship ensign flew off the handle after trying to get someone killed. Yes. And then a group of professional starship officers failed to shoot a thing right in front of their noses, allowing it to escape back into the ventilation shaft. (laughs) And having reacquainted ourselves with all of these wonderful professionals on board this starship, (laughs) we get into chapter eight of Screams from the Void by Ann Tibbetts. I make fun. (laughs) I realize my recap was a bit hard on the crew. 
funny. Uh, I enjoyed it. Many of them are not, like, Pollux even thought later in, in the last chapter, she's not a soldier. No. <laughs> she's a botanist. Yeah. This is not what she's trained for. No, no. I realize this is, like, the best they can do under the circumstances. Yeah. But I think the Space Corps is to blame here because they should better train their scientists Look, to be is... at least a little bit soldier. This is not Starfleet. These are not the best and brightest. <laughs> these I are, know. as we mentioned in the first chapter, these are working stiffs in space. These are people who have a job that happens to be in space. They are not necessarily space people. I know. But when your job might involve having to hunt down an alien, you should at least have a crash course in it. But on the other hand, the implication here is that this is actually something of an outlier situation. This is not a common occurrence. Fair enough. Fair there enough. are protocols in place for if it happens, but a killer monster on board a starship is probably not something that happens every other week. This is not ho-hum, it's Tuesday for the Space Corps. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, legit. Otherwise, they probably would have like a dedicated security team on board every ship. Right? Like even just one or two people whose job it is to shoot the thing. Yeah, to know how to fight and shoot the thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Space Corps should at least have one or two people who know how to fight and shoot a thing. I mean, it's very likely, I would say, that maybe the captain had some military experience, but he was the first guy to die, so. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about that, though. We're going to come back around to that. Okay, anyway. Okay. Uh, this chapter actually starts with everyone eating pie. <laughs> what I love about this is that Raina brings up that in the whole two years that they had been on this ship, they never, ever had pie. Not even once. It was no pie. This is emergency pie. I actually think that Reyna is right when she assumes that this was meant as celebratory pie. Neil was saving the pie for like on their way home yeah. to celebrate the end of the mission. It's over, everybody. Delicious pie. But circumstances as they are with uh, alien monster on board, possible deaths, Tensions fraying, Neil made a call that morale needed a boost right now, and so he dipped into the emergency pie. Yep, I agree. Yeah. This is a, okay, <laughs> look, this might be the end. I'm eating these cookies yeah. kind of thing, right? Well, and say what you will about Neil's reaction to the violence last chapter, he is trying to keep a lid on things. And he makes some frustrating but rational choices in this chapter. Yes, which we'll, we'll get back to as we go. There's still tension in the air. There's still a lot of oh, like leftover anxiety over what just happened. And Avram, being a smart aleck, keeps like needling the bear all chapter. <laughs> Fortunately, Morvin, for the most part, seems to have a lid on things at the moment. He's clearly sour, but at the same time, he's not flying off the handle again. Even though Reyna on a couple occasions is like, He's going to lose it again any moment. Yeah, which was nice. He's at least smart enough to know how to do that. Well, I mean, he was also threatened with a gun, so. Exactly. Smart enough to know that he needs to keep his temper down. Um, as everybody enjoys their... Pie packets? Squeezy pack full of pie filling. <laughs> Ew. Raina, meanwhile, finds herself on dishes duty, basically. Oh, yes. And has a moment of introspection thinking about of course, she got out of her house and what is implied to have maybe been a, a crummy domestic situation because yeah, she was not the favorite. Yeah, it didn't sound great. Followed in the footsteps of the favorite and still ended up doing all the chores now on the starship. Yeah. Uh, the It was, I don't remember the exact wording. It was something along the lines of she had more and more chores to do around the house as her younger siblings grew up and moved out. 
implying that she didn't, yeah. right? That she was still stuck at home, and then the chores just kept piling up. So she joined the Space Corps to escape that, and then got stuck doing the chores again. <laughs> yeah, being the lowest ranked person on the ship. And this actually leads into a little bit of a conversation, because... During a little bit of an exchange here with some of the people at the table about, like, what it means to be in the Space Corps, Reyna lets slip that she knows why Morvid in particular joined the Space Corps, and that was because he is seeking glory. Yeah! Possible betrayal of his confidence there. Apparently this was told to her in an intimate moment earlier in their relationship, but he doesn't, like have a good comeback. He tries to blow it off at first, but when she is like, no, I I know why you're here for real, he doesn't rebut it. No. He well, thinks that she's not wrong. No, right? and, and he earnestly believes that they're doing something honorable for the good of humanity, that they are helping forward the human cause, and he wants to be a part of that. But... Here's where it falls apart. I, I know where you're going. Yeah. Let me Let me pick up the ball and run with it. He sees it as noble and good and heroic... He doesn't want to do it because it's noble and heroic. He wants to do it because he wants to be famous. He wants to do it for the glory. Yes, yes. he wants the glory. He wants to be the hero. There's that disconnect for him because he doesn't understand that a hero doesn't do it because they want the glory. A hero does it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, on the intellectually he realizes that it's a good cause, but he's doing it for entirely selfish reasons. Yes, exactly. And that's where you're His right. heroism is corrupt <laughs> because his, his motivations aren't pure. Because his motivations aren't pure. And it's all tied into his ego. And his ego is the big problem with him. Yes. That's the reason why he gets violent. He got pushy with her the night that she kind of joked about thinking that it's honorable and heroic. Well, not he that got, she joked about it. She kind of stepped on it. Yeah. And he got really bent out of shape about it. And in hindsight now, Raina's like, oh, it's because it bruised his ego. Yeah. His ego is very frail. <laughs> and that actually ties all the way back to just a few chapters ago when just last chapter in fact he locked the door on her because his ego had been bruised why was his ego bruised because she had rebuffed him in the armory the chapter earlier i had said at the time i feel like he was building up to a stick with me kid and i'll keep you safe moment mm. and i now a hundred percent believe that that's what he was going to oh do. yeah because he's got this whole thing that he wants to be the hero mm -hmm. so he wanted to show her how heroic he was but she stepped on it and then he got bent out of shape and he locked her out of the mess hall. Yeah. And which, got violent. Which afterwards. actually does tie into my theory about her being a possession, right? He wanted to look after her because she belongs to him. She rebuffed him and so she needed to be punished because she bruised his ego. Yeah. Right? It all ties together. Oh, yeah. It, this it guy's hangs a together. mess. <laughs> but it all, it's con a consistent mess. Yeah. Oh, a consistent mess. Yes. But a mess nonetheless. Now, here's the other thing. I had uh, thrown out a very irresponsible accusation against Ensign Morvan a couple chapters ago, suggesting that he may have snuck the creature on board so that he could be a hero. This actually makes a stronger case for that motivation. However, events later in the chapter make a diminished case for how <laughs> the creature came on board. Yeah. I will say that. So let's go there and talk about Averman and his allergies. Yes. Yeah, so while they're sitting around the table... Avram continues to sniffle and sneeze and cough and wheeze. And finally, Tamsin is just like, dude, are you sick? What is going on? And Avram's like, oh, no, no, it's fine. It's just, I have allergies. They've been acting up for the last week or so. It's no big deal. First of all, Tamsin is like, I mean, you could take something for your allergies. And he was like, I don't know what's been setting them off. And that actually raises a few eyebrows around the table. And it's Morvan, in fact, who's like, well, what normally sets off your allergies? And he's like, oh, animal dander. 
And they all, like, drop their pie packets and stare at him like he's an idiot. Well, not everybody, but uh, certainly Reyna and Morvin both do. Yes. In that moment. They even exchange a, a glance like, uh-oh. <laughs> Wait a second. And Reyna actually even has a moment of feeling a little disgusted that she and Morvin are on the same wavelength yeah, on this. Yeah, because she wants nothing to do with him anymore. But, and at risk of derailing our conversation for a moment here... It tracks to me because there had to have been something that attracted her to Morvin besides his rugged good looks. Yeah. And his skill in the sack. The fact that they think similarly, that they're both smart and sharp in the same way, would track with that to yeah, me. Yeah, it makes sense. And now it's just repulsive to her. Yeah, that <laughs> they unfortunately think the same. But they do think the same in this moment because Morvin's like, why didn't you report that there might be an animal on board a week ago? And Avram, to his credit, had not put two and two together because he was like, well, I mean, we've brought all these alien plants on board. We don't know what kind of pollen they have, what kind of spores they're giving off. My allergies could be reacting to anything. Normally it's animal dander, but we don't know what these plants are about. Yeah. So I just assumed that it was something to do with that. And it's no big deal. It's just my allergies. Yeah. Except I, I forget which one of them points out. There is a foreign biological on board. Well, they now know that. <laughs> right? And this is definitely a hindsight thing where Avram can now go, oh, maybe I should have reported it earlier because we now know that there's an alien monster on board. Yeah. Right? I mean, the Ensigns don't know that it's a furry creature like yeah. we do because they haven't encountered it yet. But us, the audience, can easily put two and two together right here, which means that the crew has now come to the same theory that we did, I believe, a chapter ago, that this animal came from one of their uh, seed pods. Now, you say the crew comes to this realization, well, but that is incorrect. It's the ensigns down in the galley who actually put their heads together and piece together this theory. And it runs from information that Avram is providing, Morvin kind of piecing together the, the strings on the chicken board, Raina helping him <laughs> out with that. Tamsin even kind of contributes a bit. And it all comes down to this. The crew had brought up these blue alien vines that we were introduced to last chapter. And they had these big spore pods on them. As we know, one of them had burst. Yep. And we had posited maybe there was an alien monster inside of one of them. And this is indeed, as you said, what the crew kind of hits upon here is what if those weren't spore pods? What if it was an egg and we just didn't know? Wasn't someone supposed to do an analysis of those things to see what they actually were? And what we find out here is that Pollux, Sergeant Pollux, who certainly believes herself to be the one competent person on the ship, the one person she can rely on to actually get things done, didn't do the analysis on those spore pods. Right? That's, that's not going to look good on the record. No. So whereas Pollux certainly believes that she's the only one on the ship who gets things done, uh, the Ensigns in this moment might strongly disagree with her. Yeah. Well... To be fair, Tamsin does propose an alternative, that it might have been Valda who did the analysis, because Tamsin, with her photographic memory, did not see that report come through. Yeah. But she also doesn't necessarily see everything. No. Right? She would have seen it if Pollux had yeah. done it. But if Valda did it, then she wouldn't have. So, yeah. yeah. So maybe it was done, just not by Pollux. But something tells me that Valda didn't do it either. That's certainly the implication. If Valda did do it, Presumably, he would have found out there's an animal in there. Probably. Now, Morvin, and this is to his credit. I'm going to give him this in this moment. He pulls it together here. 
He doesn't fly off the handle at Avram about this, though he does make some pointed questions to him. He internalizes all of this information and he's like, okay, we need to do a thing right now. We have a plan. We have a suspicion of what's going on. We need to test this now. And say what you will about him 10 minutes ago. In this moment, he actually does like act like a professional. Yeah, he's a human being underneath all that after all. And, and acts kind of like a leader in this moment as well, even if it's perhaps an assumed position of leadership because he's not the highest ranked person in the room and is about to be reminded of that. Yes. Because the Ensigns might have an idea of what's going on, but they've also been ordered to stay in the galley. Yes. And Neil reminds them of this in this moment. Yes. Everybody, stop what you're doing because you're not going anywhere. And as I said earlier, it's frustrating (laughs) that he's being an obstructionist here, but at the same time, he's also... Not wrong. No. They were ordered to stay in the galley for their safety. And also because having a second group of people running around in the ship half cocked in this moment is dangerous. Not just because there's an alien monster, but because the officers are sweeping deck by deck looking for it. Yes. And if they see some people run around the corner, they might accidentally shoot them. Right? Yes. Like it's, yes. By all accounts, rushing out of the galley to start doing research is not the best course of action right now. Yeah. And I mean, their plan is we need to get to the greenhouse. We need to analyze this other spore. Oh, yeah. See, number one, if it's also hatched, because if it has, there could be a second monster that we don't know about. And number two, if it hasn't, we could identify if it is indeed an egg. And if that is how this thing came on board. Yeah, exactly. So it's not that the plan isn't solid. The idea is good. The plan is good. The timing is very bad. (laughs) Yeah. And Neil is like, all right, I'm not going to dismiss your theory out of hand here. What I will do, we're all going to sit tight. I will radio up to Pollux and let her know about your theory so that the officers can look into it because they're the ones doing the stuff outside. Yeah. And then we're not in their way and we can find out if you're right. Morvin's kind of like, okay, fine. And he deflates a bit because... A, his idea got stepped on. (laughs) And B... Which bruises his ego. And B, it's handing off his idea to the officers who will then get the glory for it if it turns out to be true. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree. That sucks for him and his frail, delicate ego. But at least we're on to something. Yeah. There's a a working theory here. Granted, it's a theory that we may have pieced together last chapter, but we were also privy to more information than these characters are in this moment. Yeah, exactly. Because we got the little flashback with Pollux. Yeah, we we have the benefit of readership. Um, Here's a question I have that I hope gets answered by our characters. The bit where that seed pod burst, where Pollux was in the greenhouse, Mm -hmm. that was ages ago. It wasn't ages ago, it was about a week ago or so. Still, that means if we're right, we and they are right, and our little furry friend came out of that seed pour, whether or not it's an egg or a, or a spore packet or whatever it is. That means it's been on the ship that long undetected. Yeah. How? Well, we don't know that the sensors on the ship are searching every nook and cranny at all hours. Yeah, but you one. know what I mean? Like Number two, it can turn invisible. Yeah, but the first time it showed up on the scanners... It wasn't in the room with them already, right? It blinked on the scanner that the ensign found, mm-hmm. right? And she knew it was in the vent coming at them. So it didn't set off anything before that. But it's also been in the walls all this time. Yeah, and the that's sensors, what I mean. The sensors on the flight deck might be better than the sensors in, say, 
waste disposal. Yeah. I don't know. Still, the point is, this thing has been hiding for a while, and I would, I'm really curious about how it did that. Um, it could be that it was hiding for a while until it was ready to come out and start eating. Yeah, maybe. I don't Got know. hungry enough to Like I said, something. I'm hoping the book answers that question, because I'm super curious about how scary and or deadly and or long this thing has been here. Well, we can presume about a week, assuming it came out of the spore pod. Pollux possibly narrowly escaped death that night by showing up after the thing had already taken off. And didn't, or she, or she ac- she's the one who accidentally let it out. And didn't think, ah, that is very possible because the thing can turn invisible. It might have been in the room with her and it might have snuck out behind her. That is Well, because she went both in and out. So that door opened twice. And it was a quarantine place. So one would presume that it, there was no other way out. So yeah, Pollux probably let the thing out of quarantine. I mean, maybe. Who knows? If it came out of a little seed spore, we don't know how what size it was, right? Maybe it was teeny tiny. Either way, it can turn invisible. I know. So this teeny tiny thing escapes with Pollux, hides for a while until it gets big enough to be hungry, and then starts feeding. Well, that's terrifying. I know it's wild speculation, but it's terrifying speculation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to spitball something completely harebrained right now. Oh, no. That there has been no confirmation of and may not. If the first biological organism that this creature laid eyes on was Pollux, when she came into the quarantine while it was hiding... What if it imprinted on her? Oh, no. Pollux's mummy? <laughs> oh, she, no. Because she got the feeling she was being watched through the vent. And when the thing opened its eyes next to her in the hallway, it didn't attack her. It just skittered away. What if it imprinted on Pollux? Oh, no. <laughs> and oh, she did touch no. the alien slime and has a rash, too. So. Oh, this is all bad. Oh, this is all bad. <laughs> oh, no. Totally baseless speculation. It is. Literally based on the scantest of it. It is, but you put the idea in my head now and it's all bad. Everything's bad. Putting it out there right now in case it bears fruit later on. I'm just going to plant that seed. You shouldn't have. It's all bad in there. (laughs) Okay, this doesn't have anything to do with the story or the plot or or any of that. It's just a a neat reflection on what I've been reading. Mm -hmm. Every time Raina remembers like has a memory of Morvan back when they were in a relationship. It is so cringy for me. Like she recounts their whole like intimate scene, right? Mm-hmm. In her head where she recalls why Morvan wants the, the hero status, right? Yeah. And the whole time I was like, ugh, ugh, please don't remember your sexy times with your ex-boyfriend. It's grossing me out. What? And I shouldn't say gross. I should say cringe because it just makes me go like, yeah, I, I mean, wouldn't want to think of that. In hindsight, it's also making Reyna cringe the same way. So it's actually, if anything, it's effective writing because it's making you feel the same way she feels about Ugh, it. Oh, it's so cringy. It's so cringy for me. And also, I mean, there's a lot of love still wrapped up in that hate. Like, it's a fresh breakup in many ways. And they've been living in close proximity even past the breakup. So, yeah, I can see why there'd be a lot of really mixed up emotions in there. Yeah. Just, just something I felt I needed to bring up, that it's just cringy. But I mean, that's, again, that's effective oh, writing. Oh, no, I agree the, with you. Uh, Antibits is trying to make you feel that. Yeah. And it's coming through. Antibits, it's working. I'm very cringy. <laughs> Yee. We'll, uh, we'll have to see how Pollux takes the news of the Ensign's theory, presumably as we move into Chapter 9. Yes. You'll want to read up on that in time for next week. In the meantime, you know... Valda seems like a pretty competent medical officer on board this ship, and obviously the uh, Space Corps 
does want people to remain healthy when they're dealing with alien biological organisms. Now, we don't have to worry about necessarily alien spores here on Earth, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to worry about your health. And fortunately, there are organizations such as the Alberta Blue Cross that are here to help you with that. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business. And Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Yeah, and what is more of a small business than the crew of a starship? <laughs> very small, very business. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can uh, check out more about that. Obviously, as we often say, that's very local to here in Alberta, but uh, there are definitely going to be insurance providers, I would assume, uh, <laughs> in your area as well. So oh, insurance is everywhere. You can't yeah. escape it. So if you're, if you're looking to uh, support your small business or you just need insurance because you're maybe self-employed or whatnot, uh, definitely seek that out because your health is important. Yeah. Yeah. You can also check out, of course, the Alberta Podcast Network homepage, albertapodcastnetwork.com, where you will find many wonderful and delightful listening adventures. <laughs> oh, we should stop calling them podcasts and start calling them listening adventures. I like that way better. <laughs> you can find those listening adventures on your podcatcher of choice. While you're there... That's probably where you're catching our pod. Makes sense. You can give us a little rating and a review. That helps us out. Please do. We'd like that. Yeah, you can also reach out to us on social media. Absolutely. We have a whole list. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads, because we're bookish like that. Yeah, we're at the read-along at most of the above. Yeah, most of them. You can also email us. Yes, we are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Maybe she is a space mommy. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on goodreads.com.